Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Florida. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Abraham Shakespeare was born and raised in Florida. For most of his childhood, he spent his time between Lake Wales and Lakeland in a pretty modest area. His family didn't have much, but they had more than enough love to go around. He was particularly close to his parents. As much love as there was in his family, life wasn't always easy for Abraham. He struggled in school, not being able to read or write, so in the seventh grade, he dropped out and went to work in the groves with his father. If you're working in a grove in Florida, you're probably running water lines, making sure there aren't any vines growing up the trees, and you're probably going to be handpicking oranges. It is hard and it is hot work. Unfortunately, being young and out of school, Abraham got into a little trouble. At 13, he was convicted of theft and was sent to a reform school where, according to NBC, he stayed for the next five years until he turned 18. Initially, when I read that he was sent to a reform school, I held my breath for a minute, but from everything I could find, it looks like it was a pretty decent experience. Abraham came back healthy, happy, and ready to work. He moved in with his dad and started to build his life as an adult. According to the book Unlucky Number by Deborah Mathias, his buddy Greg had a barber shop and would let Abraham do odd jobs until he eventually got a full-time job as a trucker's assistant. He'd ride around with the guys who had their CDLs, and once they got to their destinations, Abraham would help them load and unload their trucks. As the time passed, Abraham started dating one of his childhood friends. They dated for a couple of years and even welcomed a son together. Abraham loved being a dad, and even though things didn't work out between he and his son's mother, he made sure to see his son at least three or four times a week. Abraham was content, which was all he ever really wanted. He was a mellow soul whose life mostly revolved around making other people's lives easier. His friend told Stranger in My House Death by Lottery that Abraham never had a bad day. That if you told him you needed help, he didn't just say yes, he was already on the way. While everyone has dreams of making it big, as long as Abraham had his friends and family, he had more than enough. Though Abraham seemed to be doing well and seeing his son regularly, he did wind up falling behind on his child support payments, which got him into trouble. In October of 2006, he spent three days in jail, but according to court records, was able to pay $200 towards his past due amount and get released. Abraham knew that he needed to catch up, and he was about to. In November of 2006, when he was 41 years old, Abraham and one of his co-workers, a guy named Mike, were driving around for work and happened to stop at a convenience store. Abraham asked Mike if he could run in and get him a few lottery tickets and that he'd pay him when he got back to the truck, so that's what he did. I don't think either of them ever thought Abraham would actually win, but in a 1 in 13,983,816 chance, Abraham did. He won $31 million. I've never won the lottery before, but I can only imagine that a million or 31 million thoughts race through your head. Like, what do I do now? Where do I even take the ticket? Can I laminate it and take it in a fireproof box glued to my body? Do they just hand me a check? What do I do with it then? What in the hell am I going to do with $31 million? Abraham figured it out. 
He was given the choice to take an annuity, which would have given him monthly payments from the jackpot over the next 30 years, which would accrue interest, or he could take a lump sum. The lump sum is usually a smaller overall payout, but it is immediate, and Abraham went with a lump sum. After taxes, he wound up with $12.7 million, which is a whole lot less than $30 million and bums me out a little for him. But hey, $12.7 million is a whole lot more than he had the week before. It is life-changing money, and the first thing he did was pay his child support debt and set up a $1 million trust for his son. He wanted to make sure that his son was set up for life before he ever spent a dime on himself. After setting up the trust for his son, you'd assume that Abraham might start living the dream, but he didn't. Instead, he made sure that everyone else could live their dream. His episode of Stranger in My House states that he bought his cousin Cedric a house and then paid off the mortgages of a friend, a neighbor, and a guy whose last name he didn't even know. He even paid for the funerals of a few complete strangers. Abraham was extremely generous, and once word got out, people started coming to him for loans instead of the bank, and Abraham always said yes. A lot of the loans went towards buying houses, and since the homes were put in Abraham's name, they'd pay him monthly so he could pay the mortgage. While all of that is incredible and Abraham loved having the means to help people out, he had gone from a guy with manageable responsibilities to someone who was having to keep track of several mortgages, several loans, and trying to collect on them each month. It was a lot to keep track of and not everyone made it easy for him. The requests for money kept pouring in and it got really overwhelming. There was always someone wanting to come over or be where he was, and his phone was ringing off the hook. He felt like he couldn't escape his own monetary success, and he hadn't even gotten the chance to enjoy it himself. His friend Samuel told The Signal that he thought these people were his friends, but realized they just wanted money. It was like the money that was supposed to be a blessing was turning into a curse. He felt like he'd become an ATM and not someone that people called anymore just to check in on him and see how his day was. At this point, he just wanted people to feel like they cared about him and not what he could give them. In January of 2007, Abraham decided that it was finally time for him to enjoy his money. He bought a house for just over a million dollars, and it was more space than he could ever need. It looked like a little suburban castle with an iron gate out front, and it was only 15 minutes from his mom, so she was still close by. He actually bought the house with a mother-in-law suite so that she could move in with him, but when he took her to the house for the first time, she knew there was no way she could ever stay there. There was something about it, and maybe it was the size, but she told Stranger in my house that something was wrong with it. Two months after buying the house, court records obtained by acandyrose.com note that Abraham also splurged on his dream car, a brand new BMW as well as a new Ford sedan. While Abraham's mom wasn't keen on this big fancy new house, his new girlfriend Centoria loved it. She told Stranger in my house that it was pretty creepy at night because it was so big, but she loved it. It was all they would ever need, which was great because before long, Centoria was pregnant. Abraham and Centoria had their issues throughout the relationship, but surprisingly enough, most of it had to do with finances. 
She felt like he wasn't being responsible with it. His friend Greg told Stranger in My House that Abraham never changed who he was. I mean, he still shopped for clothes at Walmart, and when he did buy a Rolex, he bought it from a pawn shop, but he was still giving his money away at a rapid pace. It obviously stressed him out, but it also looks like Abraham really didn't want to tell anyone no. For an empathetic person, it's hard to put yourself into a situation where you feel like you're letting anyone down. The stress of having all that money and then seeing it disappear all the while he and Centoria were planning a family caused more than a few rifts. In late 2008, while Abraham and Centoria were getting prepared for the new baby, Abraham's realtor had what felt like a chance encounter. According to the ledger, she was at a small business convention when a woman named Dee Dee approached her, telling her that she was a writer who wanted to write a book about Abraham's story. Who knows how this petite blonde businesswoman had even an inkling that this was Abraham's realtor, but his realtor said that she'd set up a meeting between the three of them, and a few weeks later, she did. As Dee Dee got to know Abraham, spending time at his house and getting to know Centoria, Stranger in My House reports that Dee Dee noticed that he was having trouble with his finances. Of the $12.7 million he had won, he only had $1.5 million left in cash and $3 million in assets. He had given away almost two-thirds of it. Seeing that, Dee Dee offered to help out, and in Stranger in My House, they note that Dee Dee wanted to show that she could give Abraham something instead of taking away, like he was used to. And she really played the part. She seemed like a genuine person who knew what she was talking about. Unfortunately, she was just a blonde with overplucked eyebrows who read the room and manipulated accordingly. Almost immediately, Dee Dee took note of all the people who owed Abraham money and started collecting on the debts. It was one hell of a task and something that was a huge relief for a very overwhelmed Abraham. But it got icky really fast, and Abraham didn't really know what was going on or how to even spot the red flags. Over the next three months, affidavits from acandyrose.com report that Abraham took $250,000 out of an annuities account. It was transferred into a business account, one for American medical professionals, a business owned by Didi. The money was supposed to be used to pay for Abraham's taxes, but there's no documentation saying that it ever was. Moving right along, Abraham wound up signing a quick claim deed, which is basically the simplest way for anyone to sign over a property to someone else. The deed he signed over was the deed to his own million-dollar house, and he signed it over to none other than Didi's company. I wondered how or why this would have even happened, but judging by the episode of Stranger in My House, it looks like Abraham was having a hard time with the upkeep of his new mansion, and Didi was supposed to be renovating it for him and taking care of all that. Unfortunately, the stress of the house got to Centoria, and she wound up moving out, but with the plans that Abraham was going to actually sell the house and move into a more manageable one with her, but that never happened. After Abraham signed his house over to Dee Dee's business, he sold her the loans that he still had open for five different houses that he'd bought for friends and family. Those deeds now belonged to Dee Dee. From the outside looking in, that sounds terrifying for the homeowners, but hey, she was just trying to take the load off of Abraham, right? Until you find out that she paid less than five cents on the dollar for all of them, and they totaled over $3.5 million. 
After taking control over the homes Abraham owned, she went out and bought a new Lincoln MKS, aka a fancy car, and she put the title in the name of Abraham Shakespeare LLC, which wasn't even a thing. This was the first time she had put anything in his name, but don't get excited. She wound up trading the Lincoln for that BMW Abraham had bought for himself. When she got a hold of the BMW, she put the title in her boyfriend's name. At this point, I think we can all see that Dee Dee is a snake-faced leech, but Abraham just genuinely didn't know. He was trusting the woman who'd had what seemed like a successful business career and talked a good talk. Everyone around him seemed to trust that she knew what she was doing, and she just kept doing it. After taking control of his assets, Dee Dee methodically went through his existing cash. Not cash in hand, but bank cash. Abraham had a prudential annuities account, and according to court documents, the bank got a fax requesting that all of the money left in the account, which was a little over a million, be paid out via check to Abraham and mailed to his house. While that check was in limbo, Dee Dee made sure to make Abraham Shakespeare LLC an actual thing. And then she opened a bank account in the name of it through Bank of America, but she was the only person named on the account. When the big check came in, she put it into the new Bank of America account. It looks like at least someone in Abraham's circle started to feel like something wasn't right because there are notes from a meeting where his personal assistant joined Dee Dee and she requested that Abraham be added to the account. You know, a pretty basic request. I was pretty shocked when I read that Dee Dee allowed Abraham to be on this account, but the shock did not last long. According to those court documents on AcandyRose.com, the bank account sat untouched for six days before court documents from AcandyRose.com report that Dee Dee requested a meeting all by her lonesome, where she told some crap story about Abraham needing to be removed because he didn't want to pay taxes, and just like that, he was removed from an account made in the name of an LLC, made in his name, owned by this weaselly little shit. With complete control over his more than $1 million, she started writing checks. One for $250,000 that she put into the business account owned by her boyfriend. She bought a Hummer, had a cashier's check written out to the IRS, but wrote on the back that it wasn't needed for its intended purpose and had it deposited into her American Medical Professionals bank account. She continued her trail of bank draining by writing another check out of his account straight to her business for another $200,000. During this volleyball of money out of the black hole of her heart, she used her business account to purchase a new Corvette for her boyfriend. For the record, from everything I've seen, Dee Dee's boyfriend didn't know what she was doing, and Dee Dee had told enough believable stories to keep her lies afloat. With almost nothing left in Abraham's account, Dee Dee wrote out one last massive check of $200,000 to her business account and a few more small ones, one to her attorney and another to Abraham's personal assistant and one to the actual IRS. By February of 2009, just four months after taking control of Abraham's finances, he had a whopping $44,000 in his account. Abraham had no idea that what she was doing was wrong, but the people around him started to worry, especially when Dee Dee all of a sudden had enough money to start buying things like that Corvette and a house. 
Court documents state that she wound up buying a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house on Highway 60 East and then renting out the house next door. She made sure to use her business account to pay for the house and, of course, put the title in her boyfriend's name. She turned the houses into office space for herself and, according to court documents, rented some office space out to her attorney. Shortly after the purchase of that house, friends and family started to lose contact with Abraham. He wasn't answering the phone and they got pretty worried, but they also knew how much stress the lottery money had put him under. We know he left his own house to stay with his friend Greg at one point, and he did love to travel, so his friend told Stranger in My House that it wouldn't have been totally out of left field for him to pick up and hop on a cruise for a month though Centora still didn't feel right about it. She knew Abraham loved being a father and felt like he wouldn't just leave their new baby without letting anyone know, but there wasn't much evidence to prove otherwise. Didi would tell people that he just wanted to be away and even had a cell phone video that she claimed proved that. In the video, which you can see a clip of on Stranger in My House, Death by Lotto, Didi is essentially interviewing Abraham and asking him how much stress the money has caused him and how he wants to leave it all behind. That being said, the video definitely doesn't look like an organic conversation or even a planned one. He was answering her questions while he was changing channels on his TV. As the months went by, rumors started to spread. Centoria heard that he died in some strange place of AIDS, which she didn't believe, and other rumors got around that he'd run off with another woman, and even one that he'd gotten into some big legal trouble out in who knows where. But all of those rumors seemed to have one point of origin, Didi. The only person who seemed to have any contact with him anymore, or so she said. While Abraham was gone, she still managed to continue collecting on his debts, and Centoria even told Stranger in My House that Didi would actually come over to her house and visit Abraham's baby for hours at a time. Yes, lifetime movie vibes. With two children and no Abraham in sight, he naturally fell behind on child support. Don't worry, though, Didi had a plan for that. In August of 2009, her attorney went to court on Abraham's behalf and told them that Abraham was out of the country receiving treatment. So that one was new. Seems a little odd that Didi would take control of Abraham's money, keep collecting on his debts, and go out of her way to visit his child, but couldn't manage to send out child support checks on his behalf. But hey, what do I know? In November of 2009, Abraham's cousin Cedric decided that it was time to involve law enforcement. He went to the Polk County Sheriff's Department to officially report him missing. It had been seven months since anyone heard his voice, and Dee Dee had just asked Cedric for a really strange favor. According to an affidavit, she had given him $5,000 to deliver a birthday card to Abraham's mom. Cedric told deputies that he was worried that Abraham might be dead. This whole birthday card thing had deputies immediately invested. They knew that regardless of whether or not Abraham had gone off on his own or not, they knew that he most definitely could not read and could not write. 
And I don't know if you guys know who Sheriff Grady Judd is, but he definitely doesn't fuck around when it comes to protecting his community. As investigators started questioning people who knew Abraham, it was clear that no one had physically seen or spoken to him since April. Dee Dee had gone around saying that she had heard from Abraham and that he told her to say hi to this person or that person, but she was the only one. While no one had seen him in person or heard his voice, some family and friends had gotten texts from him, which again is strange because he couldn't read or write. According to Stranger in My House, they pulled his phone records and noticed that after April 6th, his phone activity drastically changed. He started texting, and whenever his phone would send a text, it was always near Dee Dee's. The detective told the show that they knew Dee Dee likely had Abraham's phone. Initially, Dee Dee was overly helpful with the investigation. That is, until she realized that all signs seemed to be pointing to her. No one knew for sure what had happened to Abraham yet, but it seemed like Dee Dee knew that she was getting closer and closer to a trip to the Orange Jumpsuit Depot, so she asked for some favors. Centoria told Stranger in My House that Dee Dee offered her Abraham's whole ass house if she would call the sheriff's department and say that she had seen Abraham. Centoria did call the sheriff's department, but she told them the whole story, that she was only calling because Dee Dee had offered her an incentive. Investigators rolled with this information and called Dee Dee in to let her know that Centoria had called and let them know that she'd seen Abraham. Of course, she was overwhelmed with joy, which they squashed real quick when they let her know that they knew she had asked Centoria to make that call. Eventually, she admitted to it, but of course, blamed everyone else, saying that everyone thinks she did something and she just wanted all of it to end. Because rest assured, she was still doing everything in her power to make everyone think that Abraham had simply walked away from his life. She even admitted to having his phone, but said that he'd given it to her to keep everyone away from him. Unfortunately, you can't arrest someone for being full of crap, so Dee Dee went home and her scheming continued but this time with a tracking device on her Hummer. As the investigation went on, court documents from acandyrose.com report that Abraham's mom got a call. It was from someone claiming to be her son. She knew it wasn't him because she knows her child's voice, but she did manage to keep the person on the phone for eight minutes. She let the detectives know what happened, and they traced the phone number back to Abraham's friend, Greg the friend that Abraham had stayed with before to escape the lottery chaos. And I'm going to ask you to pump the brakes on getting mad at Greg because you'll want to hear this next part. The following day, investigators tracked Greg down. They told Stranger in my house that they found him parked in a parking lot with none other than Dee Dee herself. Instead of approaching him right there, they waited for Dee Dee to leave and then asked him what was going on. He said that she had paid him several hundred dollars, but according to Stranger in My House, he said he'd also done it because Dee Dee had threatened to foreclose on his house, which Abraham had loaned him the money for. According to court documents, it turns out that she'd also asked him to call in a fake tip, saying that he'd seen Abraham in Miami. Detectives gave Greg the rundown on what was really going on and the fact that they didn't know if Abraham was actually alive or not. They asked Greg if he would be willing to help them out, and he didn't hesitate for a second. He agreed to keep meeting with Dee Dee, but from here on out, he was going to be wearing a wire. 
That came in handy when Dee Dee asked him to meet her at a hotel where she showed up with a laptop, surgical gloves, shoe covers, and a face mask. While in her getup, she typed up a letter pretending to be Abraham and she wanted Greg to deliver it to Abraham's mom. She went all out to make sure that she didn't get DNA, fingerprints, or anything else on the letter, but totally shit the bed once again when it came to acknowledging the fact that there's no way Abraham could write a letter. That doesn't mean that she didn't try her damnedest to make it sound like he had. Police were obviously able to intercept that letter, and Stranger in My House was able to get photos of it. They were pretty zoomed in, but you can see where it says that he likes being missing, but doesn't like being all over the news. It also claimed that he'd run into a cop in his neighborhood and given them a fake ID, but that the officer didn't run his ID, and then it said that he told the officer about the situation and paid him $20,000 to keep his mouth shut. None of it made any sense. Aside from obvious reasons, the way she wrote this letter pretending to be him was extremely insulting and extremely offensive. At this point, I think we all know where this investigation is headed, but at the time, police didn't have any confirmation that Abraham had been killed or where his body might be. So again, enter Greg. A probable cause affidavit from acandyrose.com notes that eventually, Dee Dee asked him if he knew anyone who'd be willing to take $50,000 to tell the police that they had killed Abraham, and Greg said that he knew a guy. That guy was an undercover cop. Greg introduced the cop as his cousin Mike and said that he was already facing 25 years in prison, so what did it matter? Mike told Dee Dee that he'd need the murder weapon and the location of Abraham's body so that he could move it and make the confession look believable. And I shit you not, Dee Dee fell for it. Dee Dee gave Mike the gun and walked them to a 30 by 30 foot concrete slab behind the house that she had bought next to the one she was renting and said he was below it. They had imaginary plans to come by that evening and remove Abraham's body for her, but instead of Mike showing up, the police did. Greg kept playing his part by calling Dee Dee and asking her if she'd set him up, and she was freaking out just as much as he was pretending to and agreed to meet up with him. According to Stranger in My House, that is when the investigator interrupted their meeting and took Dee Dee in for questioning. You might think this is the part where Dee Dee finally fesses up, but no. She told the investigator that Greg had just been telling her how he was the one who killed Abraham. A story they shit on real fast when they let her know that he had been working with them this entire time and had been wearing a wire. Even still, between court documents and the show, it looks like she tried to blame about as many people as she possibly could, including Abraham's cousin, an imaginary drug dealer named Ronald, her attorney, some dude named Furious, and even her own teenage son. She tried to say that her son shot Abraham twice in the chest because he saw Abraham choking her. Her son's interview with police determined that was a lie. It took the police two days and a team of people etching away at concrete before they were finally able to remove Abraham's body. 
He was partially mummified and covered in lime, which had been purchased by Dee Dee. According to the show, he was found in the clothes that he was wearing in that cell phone video Dee Dee had taken, but his button and zippers had been removed. As to how his body got there, as it turns out, all the way back on April 3rd, court documents state that Dee Dee contacted her ex-husband, asking if he'd come by the house and use a backhoe to dig a hole for her to put some trash and concrete in. He dug holes for her in the past, so it didn't seem too weird, and he dug this one for her and left, planning on coming back the next day to fill it in. But Dee Dee had other plans. According to Stranger in My House, Dee Dee actually called him later that night after it got dark and made an excuse as to why she needed him to fill it in right then, so he did. It was too dark for him to see what was in the hole. After he filled it in, Stranger in My House reports that she called the people who had laid her driveway and they poured that 30 by 30 concrete slab that they found Abraham under. He had, in fact, been shot twice in the chest and forensics found blood between her chair and desk and on the carpet by her kitchen door. After more than a year of investigating a GPS tracking device, a friend, a wire, and an undercover cop, Dee Dee Moore was finally charged with first-degree murder. Her trial took another two and a half years to begin, and let me tell you, jail did not do her well. She maintained her innocence, claiming that the police didn't look into anyone but her, which we know is bullshit since they even followed those false leads that she had had people call in to take the heat off of her. Dee Dee's trial lasted almost two weeks, and after the jury heard everything the investigation had uncovered, it took them only three hours to find her guilty. They sentenced her to life in prison without the possibility of parole and tacked on an extra 25 years for possessing a gun in the act of a felony. She will be in prison forever. Abraham's friend Greg went on to write a book with author Deborah Matthias titled Unlucky Number. If this case is something you want to dive deep into, I 10 out of 10 recommend their book. It's in that book that we learn that Abraham's assets were able to be returned to his family. In the years since, Florida has taken some steps to change things. They're currently waiting for the governor to sign a bill that would keep lottery winners' names anonymous for 90 days so that they can do things like get the proper security and financial counseling before the entire world finds out they're rich. Though according to Dee Dee, who did an exclusive jailhouse interview with the Tampa Bay Times, she doesn't think 90 days is enough. Even though she continues to maintain her innocence, she says that their names being public puts a target on them. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Abraham's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.